right. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 8. That's where we're going to be tonight. Um, if I haven't got a chance to meet you, I know I've been here before, but my name is Jameson. Um, so good to be back here tonight with you as we continue um, in a series looking at the I am statements that Jesus makes um, in the Gospels. And so tonight we're going to move on to the second one. If you remember a couple of weeks ago when I was with you, we talked about the first one um, where Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And we talked about why that was so important within the context um, of that moment and where Jesus had just come from with the disciples and the feeding of the 5,000, um, why that example was so crucial and why he even used that. And tonight's going to be very similar. We're talking about I am, when Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Now, when you read this passage in John 8, you could very easily read it and go, okay, this is a kind of a drastic shift in Jesus's uh, speech and in the moment, because he just kind of throws out there this statement that I am the light of the world. But again, a lot like last uh, two weeks ago, we need to understand the context to which Jesus is teaching into, okay? To understand why he says this. So there's something that you need to know. Again, if you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to write all this down because this is very, to me, it's very fascinating. I'm not going to get into all the details um, just because I simply don't have enough time. But um, this, is the, this is the time period, the context in which Jesus is speaking. It's the Feast of the Tabernacles. Okay, now you may say again, why is that so important? I've never heard of that. It's a Jewish tradition that happens um, every single year. And, but the thing about the Feast of the Tabernacles is there is an event, a ceremony that happens every single night um, when it gets about dusk during the Feast of the Tabernacles. And it is when the people go out and light these big, huge, giant uh, candelabras, okay? Now, I say they're massive. There's like, they're not like going around and lighting candles, but it would be like going around and lighting, lighting like four bonfires placed to the top of a thing. And I have a picture I want to show you um, of what this would look like. So you can see the temple, and then down here at the bottom, you see these giant candles, right? I mean, these are huge. Because you got to think about it. Back then, if, it was, if a ceremony was happening, if the party, the feast was going on, and it turned dark, what would everybody have to do? Go home right? Because there would, there would be no, nothing else to do. You couldn't see people. It would be like pitch black outside because there's no electricity. There's no lights. So they lit these giant candles for the party to continue into the night. And so this happens every night during this time. And so when Jesus stands up amongst the people who are gathered at the temple and he communicates, I am the light of the world, he is speaking into an event that's happening every night during this time period. So it's very relevant, it's very applicable, and he is making a very bold statement and saying, I am the light of the world. So again, this light was forefront, it was central. So now that you have the background, let's read, because um, I know the screen said we're going to go 12 through 20. We're actually just going to focus on verse 12. Um, so verse 12 says this, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So this passage, very simple, yet super meaningful when you look into what Jesus is saying. We see Jesus communicate, in fact, three major things that I want to focus on tonight. All right, so if you're taking notes, here's number one. First, in making this bold statement, Jesus reveals the person of God for us. Jesus reveals the person of God for us. Well, how does he do that? And just, again, making a simple statement, I am the light of the world. Well, again, you have to understand Israel's history, okay? There are moments throughout Israel's history, throughout the Old Testament, where we see God associated with light. 
And in fact, way more than I'm going to list off, but just a couple to, to kind of introduce you to this idea is think back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, and then 14 through 19. God created light on the first day, and then he creates lights on the fourth day. So in the midst of the story of creation, the very first chapter of the Bible, we see a very clear correlation between light and God because he creates it. Then if you fast forward to Exodus chapter three, you see a flame that is seen in a bush. It's the burning bush that Moses sees God and hears God speaking from. Again, light that exists. God led the Israelites through the wilderness in a pillar of fire by night. Exodus chapter 13 and Numbers chapter 9. He appeared to them at Mount Sinai, covering the mountain in fire. Exodus chapter 19. And then one of my favorite stories of the Old Testament is he is in the presence, Moses is in the presence of God, getting the Ten Commandments for the second time after he breaks the first ones because they were worshiping, Israelites were worshiping the golden calf. He goes back and gets them again. And in the midst of being with God in that moment, when he comes back down off the mountain, his face shines with the light of being in the presence of God. Now think about that. Kind of gives a new meaning to the glow of the bride, right? We try to contextualize that in our own minds and be like, you know, on a wedding day, when, when a lady gets married, they just shine so bright because they're so excited about the day. They're like dressed to the nines. This is like their day. So they're just glowing. But Moses' face literally glowed with the very presence of God being on it. So much so that he had to put a veil over his face not to scare the people so that they were frightened of him, right? Like that's a big deal. And so his face shone with light coming off of the very presence of God. So for Jesus to come in and make the statement, I am the light of the world, he's revealing God to us as we associate that parallel between all of the Old Testament flowing through to Jesus's presence and existence here on the earth to where he is now inserting himself into that line of thinking and into that line of metaphor saying, that's me too. So how does he reveal God to us? By saying and making the statement that I am God. I am the light of the world because up until that point, everything light-wise was always focused on God. It's God's presence. It's God's encounter. It's God's movement. It's God's guide. It's God's creation. And now Jesus is taking that on himself. So he's revealing to us that he is God. He's telling them that I am the very son of God. He's part of the Trinity, right? He's, he's part of it. He's the son of the father. He reveals the person of God because he is God. God is, or he is God in flesh on earth. And while he was here, he continuously showed us God. So a question I have at the end of this, the first point is a question that we all have to kind of wrestle with is what does Jesus reveal to you about God? Mind is not thinking something right now. I would say, are you really spending time with Jesus enough to where you're seeing God in him? How's your daily walk with the Lord? How's your prayer time? How's your worship? If you are participating in these things consistently, listen, I know it's already been said tonight, like I get it, you're college students and you're in the throes of exams and projects and tests and getting ready for the end of, you know, this part of the semester. I get that it's all piling on. 
And you know, unfortunately, one of the first things to go in a lot of our lives when things get tough and things get crazy is our walk with the Lord. And we say, hey, I'll do that later on. I'll sleep an extra hour and get a little more rest and I'll do my quiet time later on in the day. But what ends up happening is you get so busy and busy and busy and busy that you put your head on your pillow at night and you remember, I never spent time with the Lord today. And so for some of you, you're sitting and answering that question and you're sitting in the response of nothing right now. Because you're not spending time with him to allow Jesus to reveal who God is to you. We just sing a song that says, you have been so, so good. And for some of us, we sing empty words because they're on a screen. Can you legitimately say, you have been so, so good because of your time spent with Jesus that reveals to you who God is? So number one is that he reveals God to us. The second thing he shows us in making this simple statement is that he reveals life and gives us meaning and purpose. Jesus reveals life and gives us meaning and purpose. So back in the Old Testament, we see Jesus talked about three different times in Isaiah, and it correlates the coming of Jesus to being a light for the nations. The first one is Isaiah 42, 6. It says, I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. Then later on, seven chapters in chapter 49, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And then Isaiah 51, give attention to me, my people, and give ear to me, my nation, for a law will go out from me and I will set my justice for a light to the peoples. So back in the Old Testament, in Isaiah's time, we knew that Jesus was coming and we knew that he was going to be correlated to light. Jesus does something that no one else can do. He brings life to everyone on the planet of earth. He gives us not only life, but also meaning and purpose in a relationship with him. Uh, When my son was little, before he could read, um, we would read a story every single night before he went to bed. And then we would do our devotional together. And one of those stories that he liked, um, and I meant to check before I left the house yesterday or this morning um, to see if it's still on his bookshelf or if it's gone with the little kid books, but it's a book called You Are Special by Max Lucado. Has anybody read this or heard of it? I totally understand if you haven't because it's for like kids. Okay. So one. All right. Awesome. (laughs) So the story focuses around, sum it up. Um, It's a short story and it focuses on a character named Punchinello. I don't even know if I'm saying it right, but that's how I always pronounced it. Um, But he's a toy. He's a toy that's been made, and it's, it's called a Wemmick. And so the Wemmicks are these toys that have been made by a toy maker, and they are sent to live lives out amongst each other. And they come up with this system to rank each other. And it's all about your good works and what you've done and all of these things. And so he really falls on himself really hard because he, he can't find his identity. He can't find out who he is. He's just having a tough time. And so what he ends up doing is going back to the toy maker. And he sits with the toy maker and has a conversation with him. And essentially what happens is the toy maker says, listen, I didn't make you to do all of those things. I made you to be who you are. Stop trying to be someone else who you're not made to be. You were not fashioned to be this other person. You were not fashioned to be this other toy because that other toy has a completely different purpose. I made you for a very specific reason. You are special. 
And it's a great story when we start talking about how we are made as humans and how we are given an exact purpose, an exact meaning, and how we find life in Jesus, who in the story is like the toy maker. If we spend time with him, we see that. Then and only then, when we have that relationship with that creator made, do we see our meaning and purpose. If we have a relationship with God, we know why we're here. It's one of the things I love about scripture is it's very straightforward. It's very direct. Now I will say there are parts where I'm like, I don't even know that I'll get, I'll know when I get to heaven and I can be like, yo God, what's up with this? Cause I don't understand. And he's going to tell me. In fact, it says that there are mysteries that we'll never know, but a lot of things very straightforward. So when we talk about our purpose and meaning, if we look at scripture, we find part of our purpose and meaning here. Number one is we're to love God. So when you ask yourself, what is my purpose and what is my meaning to be here on the earth? Number one, love God. Matthew 22, 37, 38. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, okay? Very simply, very easily put, this is the first thing that you are to do is love the Lord your God. That's your first purpose. That is your first meaning. And you're to do it with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your heart. Now, when my wife and I got married, we decided on our wedding rings, this is, this is a silicone ring, so it's not actually mine, um, but on our actual wedding rings, um, we had something engraved on the inside that neither of us knew what was going to be on it. So on my wife's, I chose the phrase, with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that's what I had put on the inside of her wedding ring. Because I want to love her out of the love that I have for God and of God, which is to love him with all of those things. And I wanted her to know that I'm going to love her second to God the most out of anybody else in my life. And I want her to know that and be reminded of it every single day. She put our wedding anniversary on mine because she knew I shouldn't forget ever, right? Um, Way less meaningful, but not at all, but more actually thoughtful than mine, okay? Um, So love God. That's the first thing. Then we all know that there's a second commandment that comes after that, right? If you study scripture, you know his next words, love others. Verse 39, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, how do we do that? How do we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? We do that. We can do that. Then flows out of that. We love our neighbors. That's the next thing. How do we do that? Well, number one is sharing our faith. Great commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. A lot of us stop there though. We'll share our faith or we'll present the gospel and we'll we'll share with others that we know that don't know Christ because we're burdened for where they're gonna live in eternity. And so we'll do that. But then it can be a moment where we just stop. But I think a lot of us, even in talking about the Great Commission, stop there. We don't go on to verse 20, which says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, which is discipling. So we not only share our faith, but then we walk with them in discipleship. And then lastly, we take that love and go serve others. That's part of loving others. Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light, there we see that word again, shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. Now we don't do it out of selfish ambition, right? We don't serve so that other people will look at us, but we serve others so that they'll see Jesus in us. That's the goal. Serve others so that they see Jesus. So very plainly put, we see what we're supposed to do. Now, I'll be honest, though. 
sitting in your seat, there was a lot about finding meaning and purpose that was very frustrating to me. So a lot of times, we don't necessarily see all the way out. So I want to give you an illustration of this, okay? So I'm going to ask that we, we're going to turn off all the lights, okay? So there's going to be some lights that we can't turn off, so you're, some of this is just going to use your imagination. But as far as we can get there, we're going to turn off all the lights. So here's the deal. Many times in our walk with the Lord, when we are praying for and seeking for, and honestly, we're earnestly doing this, we're asking God, we're begging God, will you please show me what your purpose and meaning is in our life? Many times in our life, we get to see 40 miles in front of us. For instance, when I was a sophomore in high school, I felt called to full-time ministry. I knew in that moment when I was, it was a summer camp, I'll remember it clear as day. I remember walking forward. I remember where the speaker was. I remember where I was at the stage. And I remember saying, God, I know you're calling me to ministry. And in that moment, I knew the trajectory of my career the rest of my life because it was gonna be in ministry. I knew that. So for me, God shined the spotlight 40 miles down the road and said, that's where you're gonna be in 40 years. But there's also moments where we're praying and begging God. And he says, you know what? I'm going to show you something an inch in front of your face. And it's almost like instead of a spotlight, we have a candlelight. And he shows us to where we can see about a foot in front of us. And what he asks us to do is to faithfully take a step. Knowing that we don't have the spotlight, we can't see 40 miles down the road. But what we're saying yes to is a foot in front of us. And he says, will you say yes if you can only see a step in front of you. The problem is, is that we live in a fast food society. We live in the age of the internet and social media. And what we want is for God to say exactly what we want to hear in exactly the right timing in exactly the right way. But unfortunately, that's not how God operates. And I say unfortunately, because that's how we think about it. But our minds should think about it in the way of, fortunately, that's God's providence and discernment and wisdom and sovereignty, laying it out in the steps that we can handle, in the moments when we can handle them, and in the way that we need to handle them. You can turn on the lights. And I don't know if some of you sitting in the room tonight are feeling that way. And you're frustrated. You're possibly frustrated with your walk with the Lord because you're just saying, tell me what I'm supposed to do. Tell me when it's supposed to happen. For me, it was marriage. You want to know my ultimate goal in getting married? Here's my dream goal. This is Jameson's plan from like when I started in college. My goal was to graduate college on Saturday and get married on Sunday and then go on my honeymoon. That, it was just like, hey, if we're going to have everybody together and have this monumental day, let's just celebrate two things, back-to-back days, and then deuces, I'm out. That's what I wanted to happen. I, was, I wanted it. I prayed for it. I was like, God, let me. I know you're going to let me meet somebody in college. I know that I'm going to find the love of my life. I know all of this is going to happen. And I can tell you after four years, none of that happened. I graduated college, and then the next day, I think I went to our like, playoff football game. Very different than getting married. Then I went through all two and a half years of seminary, praying, God, at some point, right, you're going to bring this person to me and I'm trusting you, but like right now I'm really wavering in this because I ain't getting any younger. 
right? Because I thought I was old at that point. Not true. Then I graduated seminary. And I was left in a moment where I was like, okay, what am I going to do? I know that I'm in ministry. And then our church approached me about coming on full-time staff. And so I went on staff as the high school minister. And then that next summer, when I had pretty much said, God, I'm done. Like, this is just, I got to leave this up to you. Because at this point, I don't even know how I'm going to meet somebody. Like, I, <laughs> I'm involved in ministry. I don't get to go to young singles or college ministry like that anymore. Like, we're done. I'm just a dude at the church who doesn't have a wedding ring on. And that summer... In this crazy circumstance of events, I met my wife and God said, this is her. When I so desired to see 40 years down the road and I so desired to pray and beg God for what my plan was, God was saying, hey, here's a lighter. Will you just take a step? Will you just say yes now? Because the person that I have for you that is perfect to suit your every weakness is over here, but I need you to take steps to get there. And I need you to believe and trust in me. And so that's the question. Do you trust God? Again, you just sang a song. You have been faithful. And you have been so, so good to me. Do you believe that? Are you walking in that? So we see in this simple statement from Jesus, he reveals the person of God, he reveals life and gives meaning and purpose. And lastly is this, Jesus reveals sin, judging those who dwell in darkness. So the light of life metaphor represents what dispels the darkness of ignorance, sin, and death. Going back, I think about the whole idea of light. We just, we just dimmed the lights and did all that. If there is utter darkness and there is light, right? You can't have both in the same venue because if we were to have utter darkness and I were to turn on this um, lighter again and I were to hold it and I were to give our eyes about 30 minutes to adjust to this being the only light in the room, you would be incredibly surprised at how much you can see after your eyes adjust. Because if there is a fraction of light in the darkness, there is no darkness. Darkness cannot exist with light being present. And that's what Jesus is saying. Listen, I've come to the world. I've come as the very son of God. I've come to be the perfect sacrifice for you. I've come to dispel sin, to reveal it, and then to get rid of it, to fight it, and then overcome it. It's exactly what he does. What I love about it, though, is he doesn't just expose it to expose it. He exposes it to correct it, to mend the brokenness. Colossians 1.13 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. So in his exposure, in his revealing of sin in our lives, he does judge us though. Because here's the thing, I just said it, like I love the Bible and how clear it is and straightforward it is. At the end of time, there's gonna come a point where we all stand before Jesus 
and we are judged to be either faithful and true or as someone that he never knew. And you, no matter what culture and society tells you that there's a gray area where you might have a chance to go relive five years of your life and try to get better, or you will have a chance to live in this ethereal place in the sky before God really judges you to earn some brownie points to be able to be admitted to heaven. Jesus very clearly in scripture will come back a second time and he will sit on his throne of judgment and he will say, yes, I know you or no, I don't. Yes, I know you or depart from me for I never knew who you were. That judgment is coming, but we like to make it seem like it's going to be like not as bad as it really is. And we like to make it seem like, and I'll be honest with you, like your age group is, is the, like a time when you are going to be pulled in all of those directions. Because everybody wants to not hurt someone's feelings. And everybody doesn't want to like step on somebody's toes. And we have to like very delicately walk around things. And in scripture, again, I love it about Jesus because he goes direct at the people and says, listen, I am the light of the world. He doesn't take four paragraphs of intro. He doesn't tell a story to get to his point. He just stands up in front of the people and says, listen, this is going to apply to you. You're going to get it because it's your context that you live in right now. But listen, I am the light of the world. And what that means is, is I am just like God. I'm his very son. I am perfect. God sent me to the earth to reveal to you not only life and how you have it eternally, but also that you are living in sin and I am going to judge you at some point in time. He says, wake up people, this is coming. And it will happen. There is no if, there is no maybe, it's when it happens. Now, none of us know that. It could be later on tonight. It could be a million years down the road. We have no idea. But what we do know is at some point in time, he is coming. And we are thankful right now because he reveals sin to us. But some of us are going to be worried later on because he's going to judge us at the end of time. And so my question for this part is, knowing that there's no gray area, it's either light or dark, is which side do you fall on? Has there been a moment in your life where you've said yes to Jesus and surrendered your life to him and said, I believe in you as the perfect son of God who came to live and was sacrificed on the cross for my sin so that I might live with you in heaven for all of eternity. And we don't do it because of fire insurance because we're scared of hell. This is a conversation we're having with our eight-year-old right now. He's not accepted Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. And we're very specific and we talk to him about this, but every time he's brought it up until now, it's fire insurance. He says, dad, I'm scared. I don't want to go to hell for eternity. And I say, Ridge, that's, I, I love that. And that's a great thing. You don't want to do that. I promise you, you don't want to stand on that side of judgment. But what I don't want you to do is to accept Jesus and surrender your life to him just because you're scared of hell. I want you to do it because you desire to walk and live with Jesus. And in doing that, you get to avoid hell. And I hope what you see in me explaining that to an eight-year-old is it's vastly different modes of thinking. This one is fear-based and this one is relationship-based. And that's what I want to ask tonight. And you know me, I've been here, this is my fourth time. And I never want there to be a moment where I don't offer somebody a chance 
to say yes to Jesus and say, man, I want, I want that relationship, not out of fear of where I'm gonna spend or not out of fear of me being judged at some point when Jesus comes back again, but out of a desire for a relationship with a holy God, a sovereign God who knows every step in front of me all the way down to the end of my life and then past that in eternity. And so I wanna ask you to close your eyes. And here's my question. Very simple. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this. Is there anybody in here tonight who wants to make that decision based out of a relationship and a desire for a relationship with the Lord versus a fear of what's going to happen in that moment when Jesus comes back again? And if you want to surrender your life because you want that relationship with Jesus, in this moment, I just want to ask you to raise your hand. So eyes still closed, heads still bowed. Here's what I want to think you to think about in this moment as we go into a time of worship and just thinking about what we've learned in Jesus' statement, I am the light of the world. Is there one of those points or one of those questions that I asked or that scripture shows us that you really are wrestling with internally? Which one is it? Think about why you're wrestling with that question most of all. One of my biggest encouragements for you as you walk out of this room tonight is you have the ability to change that next week when you come in this room, you can answer that question a little bit differently or the following week, sorry. but you can only do so much. And this is why God commands us to be involved in community. This is because we need people to help us. We need people to hold us accountable. So if you're struggling with answering the question of what is Jesus revealing about God to you right now, and you just don't have an answer because honestly, you couldn't tell me the last time that you opened your Bible just to read and study on your own in your own personal quiet time, a fix for that is for you to, in your mind, to make the choice to do it every single day, but then also place somebody in your life who's gonna send you a text tomorrow at 4 p.m. and ask if you've spent time with Jesus today. My prayer is that everybody in this room has somebody that you can ask to do that. And maybe tonight during this song, you need to go to that person and say, will you help me with this? Maybe you're struggling with where God has you and the plan of your life and just wanting to know so much ahead of time that you're getting ahead of God and you're not stepping in the candlelight. You're trying to run into the spotlight and the spotlight's just not there. I guarantee you, you're not the only one in here. I'm 38 years old and there's moments now that I ask that about. I want nothing more than my son to surrender his life to Jesus, but I'm not gonna run into the spotlight even though I want to because I wanna know when that moment's gonna come and I wanna know when that's gonna happen and I so desperately am praying in that direction, but I'm walking in the candlelight of knowing that I just take a step at a time. And I know my situation is different than yours, but there's a situation in your life. 
Allow somebody to walk with you in that. Pray with you, pray for you. And then lastly, maybe it's that Jesus is revealing sin, not in your life, but in a friend's life. You need to be the person that goes to them and calls it out. Shows them the light of the world and tells them about Jesus. As you love God, you love others. So you go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them all that I have commanded them. Maybe there's somebody that you need to walk through discipleship with. And God's laying that name on your heart right now. Invite somebody into that process to hold you accountable, to ask you the tough questions. Because you can disciple. You don't need somebody with a seminary degree. Paul didn't have that. But you know what Paul had? an incredible walk with God. God, we thank you so much for tonight, Lord. I thank you for you making the statement that I am the light of the world. Lord, there's so much wrapped up in those very short few words, especially when we understand the context of the moment. So Lord, I pray that you would allow these students to wrestle with what that means for them, that you would lay names on hearts, that you would lay a accountability person on their minds, Lord, that even in this moment, that they might go to that person and ask, will you hold me accountable to this? Every time we open your word, life change happens. Let us act on that life change tonight. It's all this we ask in Jesus' name, amen.